0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code Wondery at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today
1: with Byte. Everyone grieves differently. Look, my parents still struggle with it every day. For me, I like to talk about her with my son. My son was young when she passed.
0: From Offscript Media, welcome to of Patience, I am Matthew Zachary. Have I got a treat for you today because my buddy Steve Goodman is here live in studio. He's sitting about nine feet away, chomping at the bit to chat all about the things we share to be aggrieved, inane, agitating, and yet possibly hopeful. First and foremost, Steve's a mensch. He's also a cybernetically engineered 1980s trivia junkie, 30-year TV producer veteran, and most significantly, big brother and caregiver to the late Annie Goodman, my co-host on The Stupid Cancer Show from 2013 to 2015. So first, we rant on about the history of media bias, how the sausage is made behind the curtain. What the hell is the lower third? You know, but then we get real and we talk about love, hope, strength, loss, grief, Annie's footprint, her impact, her legacy, and the sibling dynamic through thick and thin. Some of you may have heard Annie's voice on the air with me back in the day, but rest assured if you haven't, or if you have, you know that she is one of the kindest, fiercest, most inspiring human beings I've ever known. Please enjoy this tribute episode of Out of Patience to my dear friend and partner in crime in the young adult cancer movement, the late Annie Goodman. Steve Goodman, welcome
1: to Out of Patience. Thanks. Happy to be here. And you're actually here. Yeah, I uh, took the snowy drive in and I am here. We are socially distanced. Yep. Live in the studio.
0: I miss live in the studio.
1: Yeah, live in the studio is much better than just on the phone or on Zoom or anything like that. Tell me why.
0: I'm kidding. Don't tell me why. We know why. Right. Are you totally like Zoom fatigued out? Is video done? I am not Zoomed
1: out because I am still going into work. So, Oh, one of the lucky ones. You get to physically go to your office. I get to physically go in. And if the only Zooms I've really, I've done a couple of work Zooms and I've done a handful of uh, college friend Zooms. And that's about it. So I'm not Zoomed out yet.
0: Well, good for you. Yeah. I'm not Zoomed out either. I've also had the privilege, my listeners know I've been doing the show for the year physically here at our office in the financial district. So it's been a bit of a privilege to not have to be home every day. That's true. But your wife has been home. Oh, yes, she has. She works in the advertising industry. She does. What's it been like for her and your kid?
1: It's been interesting because um, we do have a smaller three-bedroom apartment. So my wife is in one bedroom. My son, on days that he's not going into school, is in another bedroom. And then I am trying to hide in the living room and not turn on the TV too loud when I'm home. Um Because I work weekends, so I'm there a lot during the week. And my wife, I know she won't listen to this, but she talks very loud on the phone. (laughs) So there are times where I put on the noise-canceling headphones and just tune everything out and just like, all right, I'm done. I can't deal.
0: Like quarantine life hacks for parents, kids, work, school. Well, uh,
1: my son is 14, so he pretty much ignores us when he's home anyway. Is that high school? Yeah, it's t- technically high school, eighth grade. Okay. He's either in one room doing schoolwork or homework, or he's in the other room uh, talking to his friends.
0: So I want to get into a serious... Uh, my, my nephew is 13, and my my brother tells me and shares these stories. I don't think they're anecdotal, but the levels of anxiety and depression in tweens and teens is at an all-time high. Are you seeing that?
1: No, he's he's been good because him and his friends... FaceTime, although when I say FaceTime, um, they have the FaceTime running, but the phone is on the table shooting up at the ceiling while they play video games and just talk into it. So they communicate every single day.
0: That's an interesting... Several, is that times, normal behavior? It says that this
1: old man whose kids are only 10? Right. Um, I hear it is. Um, I found it a little weird that they're not seeing each other. They just have it there just to communicate with each other. Um, it's kind of like a... One big phone tag, um, but there's like five of them playing video games at the same time.
0: Wait, so going back, have you been able to go to work every day since the pandemic started? every day.
1: I've never stopped going in. So you work for a news
0: outlet. I do. A 24-7 news outlet. Yes. Which is frenetic on a good day. Right. What has changed from an office experience? I'm just radically curious.
1: A lot. So majority of our news anchors are working from home in home studios. The ones that aren't um, are in studio, but our tech team, I'd say 90% of it are working from home. So, robotic cameras are being done from home, teleprompters being done from home, uh, all the producers. That's crazy are at tech. Home. Did, how new is that tech to run everything from home? They pretty much got it running in March um, when we had to, and we were testing it along the way. There are certain jobs that can't be done from home that had to come in. Like my job, I can't physically can't do it. It would be on too long of a delay, and it would be really sloppy and not be able to do it. So I'm I'm a television director, so I'm calling all the shots. I need to see everything in real time.
0: Are you in the in the in the? I'm gonna just be my layperson in that room with all the TVs. Selling yeah. Camera three, camera two. Yeah. Okay.
1: Uh, it's called the control room, but yes.
0: Uh, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The control room. Yeah. Fancy, fancy. So
1: pre-COVID, there would be anywhere from eight to fifteen people. I've done shows with two. Wow. Almost every day I did shows with two, sometimes three. Um, The maximum was five for a while. So it allowed a producer to come in if they had to, if they wanted to. But for the most part, they were able to do their jobs from home. There were some hiccups along the way, like anything else. But we were able to work through it and figure out how to get around it. And for the most part, put on some clean shows. And everyone is pretty happy about it because a lot of people aren't coming in and probably don't have to ever come back in.
0: Well, that's very telling too. Uh, Reading all these articles that are talking about how business has learned so much economically from a sustainability perspective and margin and overhead, how much it can save by having productive workforces not physically occupying real estate.
1: Right. So now we can also do jobs with a lot less people where it's great for The people that run the company that are the money people, bad for the little people that are like had a job that wasn't super hard, but it was still their job and that's what they had to do every day. And they're somewhat replaceable now, which is sad to say. Right. But that's been the gist of the TV business ever since I got in it almost 30 years ago where jobs would get eliminated little by little. And they would figure out what they can do, what they can get away with, and still put on a good product with less and less people.
0: Well, we talk about how automation has eliminated so many jobs sure. in the world over the last 30 yeah. years.
1: And there's automation in TV too.
0: Right. But COVID has yielded, like it's a version of automation. Right. Like you've simplified things by taking the expense out of physicality.
1: Yeah. So there are there's automation for TV, and I know how to do that also. And that is literally a two-person job um, as opposed to having 10 people that are work on a show. Now it is down to two. But the quality isn't suffering, or is it? it are you allowed to tell me? Because <laughs> I don't notice I, anything. The average person would not notice anything. I notice it. And we talk about this all the time in the business where what we consider a mistake, 90% of the audience had no idea anything was wrong. Well, that's
0: theater. Right. Like any theater is the actor, the artist, whoever is performing. No one knows they mess up except one person in the audience.
1: Right. And even that. Right. And we joke that half the stuff we do is not for the audience. It's for ourselves. And it's for other people that work in the industry for them to see and say, oh, that was cool. Did you see what they did? Well, it's an art.
0: Oh, absolutely. A total art to this. Absolutely. I mean, art and science, of course. But so so let me run this by you. So I'm a concert pianist. My my listeners know that. And whenever I give a, a, a piano concert or a performance somewhere, I'm not doing it to please the crowd. I'm doing it to please myself and my music professor from college <laughs> who would know exactly where I right. screwed up.
1: No, I get that. I get that. Um, there are a lot of things that we do – on the tech side of it, that we're like, oh, let's try this. This will look cool. And we're not doing it for the audience. The audience doesn't care if we make the show look fancy or not, or if it's just like a generic show when we take the video full, or if it's just the anchor talking on camera. The audience doesn't care about that. We're doing. We're making the show fancy for us.
0: So this is probably a gimme question, but what percentage of the... News that you are normally producing is now COVID-related, one hundred and twenty percent.
1: No, there's still like there's other news. There's other news, but I would say there are two topics that that are talked about right now: Trump and COVID, mm. and a small percentage. And this will change in the next month, but a small percentage of Biden and his um, cabinet team that he's bringing in. Right. That's it. Now. Big snowstorm comes in that might be talked about for a, a day, day, if that. So, if you know you're going to put on one of the 24 hour news stations, you know what you're going to get. If you're looking for something different, then you're going to have to go somewhere else.
0: Back with our guest after the break. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax,
1: the way car buying should be.
0: So, I want to talk about Annie. Okay. Now, for my listeners who were listeners of The Stupid Cancer Show, going way back in the archives to 2007, you know, I kind of did it alone for a couple of years, and then I wanted to figure out if maybe I should have a co-host. And I ran into, actually ran into a, a young adult survivor named Carol Rosenthal, who had written a book about young adult cancer. She came on the show as a correspondent for a couple of months. And then I found an extraordinary uh, woman seasoned media expert, uh, Lisa Bernhard, who was on for many, many years. And then I met Annie Goodman, who was, I think, at the time, living with stage four triple negative breast cancer.
1: I don't remember the timing, but that sounds about right.
0: And well, first of all, she was your sister. Yes. And it was such a chemistry when I met her because she also worked for a news company. She also had a programmatic, journalistic background. Right. And she had this, I would say like this moxie about her in wanting to ask questions and she was naturally inquisitive and we we jived. We really just made sense together. So I invited her to be my third co-host and she was there for a very long time. She was probably the most well-known of my co-hosts at the height of the show and we were getting 150, 200,000 listens per episode. Oh, that's great. And... Unfortunately, like too many tragedies, she she passed from her cancer and in the annals of what I've been through personally and professionally, it remains the most devastating non-family loss to me and she endures in my life for all time and I have every single piece of physical postcards that we put together where she and I did these crazy, like that man, back-to-back, you know, news action, anchor right. shots. Yeah. We had so much
1: fun. Can you tell me
0: what it was like to grow up with her?
1: Well, she was 10 years my junior. So my early memories are pre-Annie.
0: 10 years, no sister.
1: 10 years, no sister. It was my brother and I, and he's almost three years older than me. And I remember my parents telling us that, they were gonna have another kid. I guess I was probably nine years old, 10 years old at the time, and I remember waking up and them not being in the house because they had to go to the hospital when Andy was born. And (laughs) I can laugh about it, but my father was one of the first people that took his camera into the um, delivery room and took pictures of her birth and decided to make it into an album for everyone to see. Which kind of freaked everyone out, but
0: was it like one of those Polaroid Instamatics? Because that's oh, kind of no. weird. Oh no,
1: my dad was way like full on, like full 35 millimeter, like, like long like Canon Minolta kind of stuff. Oh yeah, okay, full, full lens, like the whole works. Probably went through at least one roll of film. What's film? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this was 1981, July 23rd, 1981.
0: Were you upset? That there was another thing coming into the house? Or were you like, you and your brother excited?
1: I wasn't upset. I remember thinking I wanted a younger brother because I was, I was the young one. Yeah. And I was the young one for 10 years, 10 and a half years. So I remember my father and my mother holding a pool for like the date and the sex and all that, which we found out later on that they knew all along that it was going to be a girl. And just played us. (laughs) Good on them. Oh, yeah. I mean, now being a father, I totally get it. Yeah. Um, One way to scam them. But no, I don't remember being... I remember wanting to have a younger brother. And I remember for the first couple years being her babysitter when my parents would go out. Oh, sure. Even though I was a teenager. So I remember many times being the babysitter and not being allowed to go out with my friends because they were going out and didn't want to hire a real babysitter.
0: Right, because you were in high school babysitting your younger sister.
1: I was either late junior high or early high school, yeah. Right. I think by the time I was old enough to go out and cause trouble, I was no longer allowed to babysit. Um, And I think they hired real babysitters at that point, probably because they didn't trust me. But I left for college when she was six. Mm -hmm. So from six until I moved back and she was 14, Yeah, between like 6 and 14, I wasn't there. I was just there occasionally over the holidays, and I would see her, and we would catch up. And then when I moved back to New York permanently, then we obviously got a lot closer, and she was... But then when she went to college... Yeah, so when she went to college, ironically, she wound up going to the same town where my brother was for a couple years. They were... I forget... If she started there and he was already there or he came back, but he was, he bounced back and forth a couple of times. But I, but even going back, I remember her as a teenager and going out and have with her friends. And I was not the typical, like overprotective Brick brother. I was more of, if you're going to drink, don't be stupid. Was
0: it try not to be stupid? Because that's what my dad said. Well, try not to be
1: stupid. Here's the thing. I was stupid. (laughs) <laughs> I learned everything the hard way, but the fun way. And so I tried to pass that knowledge on. So when she went away to college, I gave her my words of wisdom, which were beer before liquor, never sicker, liquor before ne- liquor before beer, never fear.
0: Right. And or, never, or in and, the clear.
1: Or in the clear. And never pass out in a frat house. Never, nothing good ever happens.
0: That's probably really solid advice from a brother to a younger sister. Right.
1: When she went to college... I was the person she called when she needed something and wouldn't want mom and dad to find out. Mm. So I spent too much money and I can't ask him for money anymore. Can you lend me money?
0: Ah, not your older brother, but you.
1: Well, I found out she was double dipping later on, but yes. (laughs) Good on her too. So yes, So she would call up and say, I had too much credit card debt, but I don't want mom and dad to find out. Um, Can you lend me a couple hundred dollars? Fine.
0: Were you already working in media when yes. she started working in media? Was there a correlation there?
1: Oh yeah. Um, so she was a journalism major in college and I don't even I don't know if it was because of me, but that's what she chose on her own. I never pushed it. I don't even know if I remember her being at the stations very often to see it, but she worked in for the school newspaper. I don't think she worked at the T V station in college, but she worked, she was in journalism school and she worked for the paper and like myself and my brother, we're all student athletes. We were all in the rifle shooting team. Um, so we're all there for that. And she wanted to work at the uh, station I was working at at the time when she was in college. So I got her an internship back when you can still get internships for relatives by just saying, hire this person.
0: Ah, oh, the good old days.
1: Right. So, she came in, did an internship. I made sure, like, she got put on a good show, and she got to know everybody, and everyone knew who she was, and that she but was she my sister. But she took to it,
0: really. I remember her telling me these, these stories. She took yeah. to it. She loved it.
1: Yeah, she did. She's so, also
0: a people person. She She is. had that charisma. Right. Built in, like, this inherited, like, this innate moxie.
1: Right. It's funny, because one year, she was home on winter break. It was my birthday, so... So at the time, my wife and I were still engaged. We hadn't gotten married yet. So we had two apartments in the same building. That's a whole other story. That's much longer. So my for, par- for the, On the next exciting episode right. with Steve. So in my apartment, my parents were staying over because we're all going to celebrate my birthday the next day. And then Annie was sleeping on our couch in the other apartment. And this is really going to date this, but my pager started going off in the middle of the night. I'm sorry, your what? Yeah, Exactly. Um, Was that
0: next to your answering machine?
1: It was. So my pager is going off and I didn't hear it because I left it out in the living room. And this is another bad reference, but our clock radio went off. (laughs) And I heard... um, Did it have rabbit ears? It didn't have rabbit ears, but it was a dial. It wasn't digital. Um, As I'm half awake and I hear the alarm go off to the radio... I hear, like, in my barely-woken stupor that they had caught Saddam Hussein. I remember that day. That was the night before my birthday. So I wake up. I literally jump up. Desert storm. Yeah. So I jump out of bed, run into the living room, and Annie's like, your page has been going off all night. (laughs) I'm like, you didn't think to come wake me? Uh, Because she'd already done her internship, so she knew what that meant. Right. And so I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, okay. So, uh, long story short, birthday plans were canceled. Right. Um, And I called into work, said, what time do you want me to come in? And they said 10 minutes ago. Basically, I look at her, I go, get dressed, you're coming with me. Ooh. And you are volunteering to do whatever they ask you to do. And she's like, okay, let's go. And she came in and I was like, hey, look, she interned here over the summer. She's here visiting and put her to work. And they did. And they did. Yeah. Because basically anytime there's a breaking news story, any extra hands that know what they're doing is helpful.
0: And the rest was history?
1: Uh, For the most part, yeah. I mean, she had to go back to college and graduate. And then. Oh, that
0: whole thing. Just that.
1: Yeah, that. And then she came home. And it took a little while for me to get her back in the door because the people are stupid hiring process. Mm -hmm. But eventually it did. And then eventually I got her on one of the better shows by introducing her to the right people. But she did all the work. I just introduced her to...
0: You just opened the door.
1: I just opened the door. She walked through it. Right. And made it her own. Like my close friends like to say that I gave her everything because... I also gave for a rent-stabilized apartment when I moved out.
0: How very Monica of you. I know. Look it up, kids.
1: Yeah. So my one of my good friends from high school got the apartment even before I did. Then when he got engaged, I moved out and his now wife moved in. When they decided to get rid of the apartment, he called me and said, does Annie want the apartment? We're getting rid of it. So... We gave her the apartment. You are a hell of
0: a big brother.
1: I know. I've heard that before. Well, I'm
0: reinforcing it. Thanks. In case you didn't know that now.
1: (laughs) And I was in shock when she eventually decided to move out. I'm like, why would you leave that place? I mean, when I lived there, it was disgusting because... uh, Because you're a guy. Because I'm a guy and the super would not answer the phone for the guys either. Mm. Anytime we had to have something fixed, I would have my next door neighbor call and then... He would come over to see her and be like, hey, while you're here, <laughs> literally that's what I would have to do.
0: Manhattan life hacks.
1: Oh, yeah. There were there was a few of them.
0: So talk to me about when she realized like, there were only a few months left. She had the conversation with me. She still committed to coming in every Monday for as long as she could.
1: It's funny because I don't know when she realized it. I know when we... We're told it. Mm-hmm. I, at that point, she wasn't as cognitive, and I don't think we ever had that conversation with her, but I'm sure she knew. But at that point, she wasn't, she wasn't coming in at that point. Mm-hmm. So that's actually news to me that she had that conversation with you because she didn't have that conversation with me.
0: I remember her pulling me aside with Kenny and Elizabeth Wolfe, who was a consultant for us at the time that knew her very well. And she said, I don't – I think this is when like she relapsed or and she lost her hair again. Right. And she came in and said, I will come here as often as I am able to. You have my word. And she did.
1: Yeah, because I know she wasn't working probably the last six months. It was a chore for her to get into work. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a gift to see her every week. Yeah, so she was still – I mean, I'm trying to remember – it wasn't easy for her the last year to get around because of some of the issues that she had because of the breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, Like she had a stroke and lost some of the vision, the peripheral vision in one of her eyes. So it was hard for her to get around um, without by just like taxi and, or just by subway or walking on the street. So that, that made it difficult for her. But I know she really enjoyed doing this and wanted to do it as much as possible until she physically wasn't able to anymore.
0: All those shows are still online. That's great. The Stupid Cancer Show, you can still subscribe to it. There are 400 plus episodes lingering in the ether of the internet (laughs) that you can go back and listen to. Anyone listening here, just look for Stupid Cancer Show wherever you get your podcasts. It's still there. That's great. Her legacy lives on. So I'd like you to just speak a little bit about we do a lot of conversations on grief, bereavement, moving on. Can you really move on? What does that really mean? How do you honor a sibling that passes? These are conversations that are uncomfortable and people try to avoid them or, or not talk about them. And I think just death is something we have to stare at the face. I did myself, my brother in law, my first cousin, my aunt, like it pervades us help me understand what helped you and your brother and your parents manage and cope.
1: I'm not sure there was any one thing. Cuz there's clearly a simple answer, right? No, it's not. No, it's not. And everyone grieves differently and look, my parents still struggle with it every day. She was the baby. Mm-hmm. She was young. She was only 33 when she She passed. was the girl. Yeah, she was the girl. She was the golden child. So, it it's still rough for my parents. They still talk about her all the time. For me, I like to still talk about her with my son. My son was young when she passed. He remembers her. He remembers doing things with her. I want to keep that memory for, her, for him. So, we'll talk about something that we did together, the three of us. Or, we have pictures of her all over the apartment, so he still sees pictures of her all the time. But... I was so involved in her treatment and her everyday life because I was the only relative that lived here. It was tough. And I was. Well, you were
0: a primary caregiver to that extent I, as well.
1: I was. And my brother's wife would come in for a while. They lived upstate. So it was about a four hour drive. So when she was having a surgery, she would come in and help out. At times, my parents would fly in, but they weren't much help. They just wanted to be here. Um, My wife was very involved. I mean, there was a lot of us that were heavily involved in her daily life and getting her to basically just not sit around and mope and feel sorry for herself. And still, she did so much from the time that she was diagnosed to bring awareness to this disease. She raised so much money, too. Yeah. And raised a ton of money and did all... Like, we went to um, events together, um, with her where she was, she helped run it. And Mm -hmm. this is while she was still in treatment, not even in recovery. She was in treatment and helping run this huge celebrity driven event to raise money for triple negative breast cancer.
0: What's your fondest? I'm going to ask you for one. What is your fondest memory of Annie?
1: Okay. So not everyone knows her, Like I do. Well, how could they, right? Right. So, like, you talk about her being this highly educated...
0: This can only go downhill. Keep
1: going. 100%. And this is something that I spoke about at her funeral, where everyone that was friends with her, they know her as this amazing person, which she was, and highly educated, very much into the news and the journalism and everything, What. I know is the person that we would go see stupid movies together because nobody else would go with her and no one else would go with me. (laughs) So, but her favorite movie (laughs) was Dumb and Dumber. Oh yes. Not everyone knew that. Like she had posters of Dumb and Dumber on her wall in her bedroom. And one of the last movies we went to go see together was Ted, which if you know that movie. Seth
0: MacFarlane, right? Yes. And Mark Wahlberg.
1: Yes. It was one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen.
0: It's a guilty pleasure trash movie. Absolutely. Worth every second.
1: Yes. So her and I are hysterical laughing, and her friend that went with us was just like, what did you just bring me to? (laughs) So that's like the Annie I remember of just being like silly and putting her guard down and being just, just laughing.
0: Well... This has been, for me personally, just a fascinating, we've never had this conversation. No. And I'm just, I, 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 all the feelings, as they say, being able to recognize and memorialize and honor her as an, uh, yes, as someone who loved Dumb and Dumber and Ted, right. but someone who was a hero to me and who whose voice was heard by millions of people.
1: That's great. So, and I, I love that she did that. Like, I have a background in radio um, from before my TV career, so I loved the fact that she was in radio. I was jealous of the fact that she was in radio, because that's the job that I wanted to stay with, but couldn't realistically do it as a 20-something and make a career out of it. So, the fact that she was able to do that, I was super jealous of.
0: Well, we don't have anything to toast with right now, but let's raise our virtual glasses absolutely to your sister Annie Goodman thank you Steve thanks for coming on the show
1: it's been a pleasure that's all for today folks if you like
0: the show be sure to subscribe leave a review follow us on social and tell all your friends to
1: listen Out of Patience with Matthew Zachary is a product of Offscript Media our executive producer is Matthew Zachary our senior producers are Jen Horanjeff and Andrew McDowell Darren Tun is our production intern it is recorded, mixed, and edited by Matthew Zachary. Our theme music is by the Mike Van Allen Quintet and by Mara. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. Hit us up at contact at offscript.com to share comments, feedback, and make guest recommendations. For more information, visit offscript.com.